The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged their nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as, the day, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us the child is born, to us the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, 1-7. Amen. Thank you, Alexis. Well, I bless God this morning for this season of Advent. Um, We have a month to focus our hearts, and I know that it can be a distractive month when we get carried away with lots of Christmas plans, but uh, it can be also an incredibly focused month on good things. I bless God this morning as well for Emma's testimony, how wonderful to hear about salvation, lordship issues in her life, and just how God has worked I bless God this morning for uh, the India team that's returned safely, and uh, the good news and the good things I'm looking forward to hearing from them, they're going to be sharing with us on December the 18th. And I bless God for the campaign that uh, last week our church finished and voted to have a strong mandate from you folks, over 90% that said, yes, let's go ahead. We believe God's leading us this way, and so... Uh, Continue to pray for that as details get worked out and as various leadership uh, have matters to address. But thank you as a church family for uh, speaking with one voice and I believe confirming what the Lord has been leading us in. And so I bless God this morning. Advent means coming. We're celebrating and preparing for the coming of Jesus. That little cradle that's over there will be having a baby in it one day as we celebrate with the children next week in the second service. And um, that's what we look to. I, when the kids were smaller in our home, I would have a little cradle just like that I built, and, uh, and it would be empty until Christmas morning. And then Pat and I would run down early and put the baby in there, and then the kids would come down, and they would see that Jesus had been born. Uh, it's an incredible season of year. Let me t- share with you some, something as we shift gears this morning from looking at First Kings and Solomon now to looking at Advent and Christmas in these next four or five weeks. And uh, let me tell you, one of the dilemmas, one of the challenges that I face as a preacher is, is uh, how much to stay in the text of Scripture and how much to stay out here with you. And I mean that in the area of the Sunday morning sermon. And uh, this is one way that you can, can learn how to pray for the preaching of the Word on a week-by-week basis. The first half of your prayer should be about you. You should pray that when you come on Sundays that you prepare your own heart and mind. 
that the soil of your heart is ready to receive whatever God has to say to you through the preaching of the Word, through the worship time, and so on. The other half of that prayer time, though, should be focused on the preacher. And that, in this morning, is me. And, and the, the challenge that I face as a preacher is how much to- time do I take you into the text that goes back thousands of years, maybe, and how much time do I spend in this century with you where you live and work and play? That's the dilemma. And this morning, uh, it, it's, it's, it's so clear to me as I've been thinking about this morning, that some of you would be glad if I announced the text this way. Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Close the Bible and talk now about you and that text and how it applies to your life tomorrow morning. But others of you are more inquisitive than that, and they want to know, you want to know, well, where'd that come from? When did he write? Who's Isaiah? What, what was going on then? And you see, as a preacher of my vintage, I was trained that that's important, that, that I got to get down into the, the weeds of that text. I got to go back to 900 B.C. or 700 B.C., depending on who we're talking about, and and I've got to figure out what was the social climate, the political climate, and all that. And why does Isaiah say that? And why is it that all of a sudden, at Christmas, we take one verse out of Isaiah, behold, a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. But then we go back to verse 15 of Isaiah 7, and we go yada, 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 yada. It's all about 700 years before Christ that we're talking about. That really confused me. And it's because, really, the scriptures that we read in prophecy, like Isaiah, have an immediate fulfillment in Isaiah's day, and oftentimes, unbeknownst to the prophet, there was a future messianic fulfillment that would come when Jesus Christ would come to this earth. And so, I'm going to go into the weeds for a little bit, and if your eyes glaze over, we'll just kind of go on without you. And then I'll, I'll wake you up just before we get to the really good stuff of how it relates to tomorrow morning. <laughs> okay? So here we are in Isaiah. Take a look at the list of kings that followed Solomon. We just finished talking about Solomon. Solomon lived and in, in, in ministered between 970 to 930 B.C., And then after Solomon, we have a period of what's called the divided kingdom. You see, God had to judge his people Israel. They were not following after the Lord. Even we see this in Solomon's life. And so we see under Solomon's son Rehoboam, the the, the king divide into ten tribes, which are called the northern kingdom of Israel, and two tribes, which are called the southern kingdom of Judah. And you'll notice that as you go down the, the way there, you'll see several kings in each side. And Isaiah, the prophet, ministered in the time of King uh, Ahaz and, uh, and Jotham and Hezekiah, a part of Hezekiah's rule. Uh, you'll remember in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. That was the call of Isaiah. So during King Uzziah's reign, Isaiah started his ministry, and he, he had three kings worth of ministering to Judah and Israel. And in that time, we see it was not only a turbulent time of decline among God's people spiritually and politically, 
but it was a time when they were not only seeing world forces come against them, they were coming against each other. We read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, that the king of the northern kingdom forms an alliance with the king of Aram, a secular foreign culture, and they come against Jerusalem. They're, they're plotting to attack their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And the king uh, of J Judah gets panicked and is afraid of this alliance formed against him. He calls upon God. God sends the prophet Isaiah, go and tell him, you know what, don't worry. Before anything happens, before they even get to Jerusalem, the northern kingdom of Israel is going down. And I'm going to raise up, this is the incredible part, he says it in chapter 8 and 9, he's, I'm going to raise up an even bigger foreign power, Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria. I'm going to raise up Assyria, and they are going to be my rod of discipline against my people that are not listening to me. It's an incredible passage of Scripture. Now, we see in this Scripture that chapter 7, 14 comes to pass. Behold, a virgin will be with child and give, name, give birth to a son. You should call him Emmanuel. That had an immediate fulfillment and a fulfillment that we celebrate at Christmas. The immediate fulfillment comes in chapter 8 when God raises up a woman who is a prophetess. And she has a son, and the son is named Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Isn't that a wonderful name? Your next born might just be called Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Probably not a good idea. It means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. What was that child? That child was a sign God sent through that prophetess that the northern kingdom of Israel would fall and, and the spoils of that kingdom would be, would be ransacked. Indeed, that's what occurred. God would be faithful to his people. That child would be called Emmanuel, God with us. God is with you, Judah. Listen to God. Don't fear. In chapter 8, verse 19, it describes the conditions of Israel at that time. When we see, when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists and whisper and mutter, do they not inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam throughout the land when they are famished, and they will become enraged, and looking upward, they will curse their God and their king. And then they will look outward upon the earth, and they will see only distress and darkness, fear and gloom, for they will be thrust into utter darkness. Chapter 8, verses 19 to 22 of Isaiah. Friends, I want to tell you, it is not hard to preach Isaiah in Canada today. It is not hard to preach Isaiah in Canada today. In fact, entire Western civilization is in the state of decline, even as the two, three hundred years from Solomon until Isaiah were in the state of decline. If the Lord does not come beforehand, future generations will document the decline and the collapse of this great period of human history called the Western civilization. As countries like Canada leave God behind, as they slip their moorings from what had held us fast to a biblical moral code and its laws, 
Already we see a country that is adrift in darkness with people inquiring from every place but God, with laws being formed and reformed and changed to accommodate every godless desire. Yes, Isaiah preaches well in Canada today. And so we come to our text in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be one day no more gloom. In the midst of this call to repentance, God says, you know what? One day there's going to be a bright light come. No more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. For the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, Isaiah knew something about the immediate fulfillment of that passage of Scripture, but Isaiah did not understand some of the future. In between the services, someone had said to me, you know, you should, you should send up a, put up a map uh, and to show us kind of where this is. And so Rafa grabbed me a map off of Google Image, and he's showing us here. I want you to know that, that the land of Naphtali and the, the land of of Zebulun, you can see it up there, are east of the Sea of Galilee. Those are two northern tribes of the ten tribes that compose the northern kingdom of Israel. And you'll notice as well that if you, we don't have a New Testament map to lay over that, but Galilee as a province is exactly those provinces of Naphtali, those tribes, Zebulun, Naphtali, and Issachar below it. That's Galilee. That's where Jesus came from. So Isaiah is preaching, and he says, he says I'm going to humble the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. That's that area. And why is that? That's because the northern, uh, north of this northern kingdom of Israel, you don't see it on the map, but it is, it is the kingdom of Assyria, that, that world-dominating force in 700 B.C. was Assyria, they came and they invaded the northern kingdom from the north, and the very first tribes that were swallowed up were Naphtali and Zebulun. And they were killed, many of them, and many of them were taken into exile. And God says, but I will humble the Naphtali and Zebulun, but I will, I will honor Galilee. Why is that? Because, you see, Galilee would be where the Messiah Jesus would come from. And so that is the immediate and the future uh, prophecy that Isaiah spoke of, obviously only dreaming about what the future might mean. The prophecy has its, its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great light. Jesus is the child that would be born. Jesus is the one that would come from, from this Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus is the one whom would be raised up as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, let's put the, some of the history behind us now, get out of the text. Some of you can wake up and you can come to the 21st century with us and, and listen to what it is that the relevance, I believe, for. First of all, I want to say about chapter 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. First of all, it does not say the person walking in darkness has seen a great light. It says the people, and the people being spoken of were the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, God's people, the people that used to worship with Judah in Jerusalem and honor Yahweh. So in, in our terms, it's, it's a message to us, the church, God's people. 
Secondly, I want you to notice that what this people are doing is they're walking. They're walking in darkness. Now, walking is a common biblical metaphor. It is indicative of that regular, rhythmic, stepping, repeated pattern, putting one foot ahead of the next without even thinking. That's walking. Walking is used negatively and positively in Scripture. Psalm 1 says, says it's a warning. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received as a Christian. John says, walk in the light even as Jesus is in the light. But in Isaiah's day, they were walking in darkness. Walking in darkness. They'd accustomed their lives their eyes to the dark. You know how you come out of a, a light place into a dark place and your eyes have to adjust? Well, God's people had 200 years to adjust. And now they were walking, not just standing, not just looking into, but they were walking in darkness. It's one thing for you and I to fall into sin somehow in an isolated situation. It is another thing to... to get established there and walk in it in an unexamined life. And thirdly, I want you to notice that they're, 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 they're walking in darkness. That's where they were walking. In the Scripture, darkness is always a reference to either evil or ignorance or both. And so they were walking in ignorance of God, evil. The evil in Isaiah's day was prevalent. They were consulting evil spirits instead of God. There was corruption in government, in the priesthood. There was disparity between rich and poor. There was idolatry that had still kept on since Solomon's day. There were superstitions that guided them more than God's word. And there was incredible problems with alcoholism. And so God sends a message to repent. But along with the message to repent, there's this future hope a great light's going to shine upon you. And he's going to be called a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and an everlasting father and a prince of peace if you'll turn to him. Well, let me finish off by commenting three ways that I believe the scripture is relevant for us today. And on this side of that ancient prophecy, how do we respond to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2? First of all, I want to say that we respond by calling Jesus for who he is. That's the first thing. That in every age, Jesus can be called for who he is. We need to note in the scripture that the prophecy tells us that a great light will be seen for those that are walking in darkness. It's not just one light among many lights. It's this great light, and a great light means that it's so glorious, so big, so huge, so bright, that when Jesus invades human history, all other lights of lesser degree fade away. If someone walks out of darkness to see the great light of Jesus, they realize that he is matchless. There's no, no rival light or God or idol or thing next to Jesus. Jesus needs to be called for who he is, the light of the world. Whatever kind of darkness you're walking in or people are walking in, Jesus is the light out of that darkness. 
I know we Christians can be so overly simplistic. Jesus is the answer to whatever question the Sunday school teacher asks. But that's the truth, is that Jesus is the great light for whatever darkness you face. The darkness of depression or abuse or hatred. The darkness of addiction, obsession, and bondage. The darkness of disease and illness and loss. The darkness of narcissism, consumerism, and any kind of hedonistic pursuit. The darkness of death and loneliness and isolation. You name the texture of darkness that you'd like to paint on your canvas, but regardless of what kind of darkness it is, Jesus is that great light. And if you know him, you know that. Secondly, let's call the darkness for what it is. Let's call it darkness. Let's not Deny it. Let's not say, well, it's not that bad. It's not that dark. I can still see a little bit. Let's call darkness for what it is. The evil, the ignorance, the rebellion that exists. Call sin, sin as well. But in the process, let's not heap up and confine and cast off the sinner along with the sin. It means that we are careful about our labels. We redefine ourselves and others and their problems carefully. We let God inform us through his word, as well as good things in this world that God informs. You know, in spite of living in an enlightened age, we do, we do. We live in an enlightened age, in a culture that is enlightened compared to so many cultures throughout human history. Human rights being so high on the agenda today is an incredible thing. I believe its roots are in the Judeo-Christian faith, though many people would not see it there. But in spite of the enlightened age we live in, friends, I want to tell you, these are really dark times in our world and in our country. If you've even taken a little time to check out what's going on in the world, in the country, and in this city of ours... You have to be aware of the darkness, whether it is the terrorism of ISIS, the plight of refugees, countless ones, or the destruction of civil war, whether it is death caused by drug overdose, overdose fentanyl and other things, murdered and missing Aboriginal women and girls, senseless gun violence, whether it's the texture of darkness that comes out in disease or or darkness of, of loneliness, and, and you name the kind of darkness that comes. Instead of ignoring it, denying it, or just putting up with it, why don't we be children of light? Why don't we make a difference in the world where He has us, letting our light so shine that they may see our Father in heaven and glorify Him? We can brighten the places that we live, and even the places we don't live, like India, or like downtown Winnipeg, but in order to do that, we need awareness. You see, if we don't have awareness, then we're the ones walking in darkness. We're the ones in ignorance. If we don't have awareness, then we're the ones walking in darkness. I just became aware this past week. I know that the United Nations has probably most of the year, days of the year, assigned to something. But I just found out that on Friday, this past November 25th, that in 1999, the United Nations General Assembly 
called this, every November 25th, the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Incredible. Asking governments and NGOs and organizations internationally to just inform people about what's right and what's wrong and how women need to be treated. On average, globally, one in every three women in this world experiences physical or sexual violence, often by someone they know. We need to be aware of that. We need to know what the lines are of right behavior and wrong behavior. We need more awareness of First Nations issues. We had yesterday World Vision sponsored the author Mark Buchanan to come to the city of Winnipeg, and we were privileged to host a morning coffee with him. And Mark Buchanan spoke about Aboriginal issues, lots of First Nations kinds of matters. And one of the things that he said was to be informed, you could just, just go on the publicly domain document online, Truth and Reconciliation Commission report, and look at the 94 calls to action. You don't need to agree with the 94 calls to action. That's not the point. But become aware of what a First Nations individual in Canada faces. Become aware of how they interpret history. Become aware of some of the things that we have assumed that they don't assume. Help us understand and come and walk in some of the darkness that they walk in day by day. And then thirdly, I want to say, firstly, call Jesus for who he is, the great light for all of humanity. Secondly, call the world and its darkness for what it is. Call darkness in this world for what it is. And then thirdly, call people that are walking in darkness into the light. We have the opportunity to do that every day. We do. You know, we, we take our, our golden retriever, Charlie, for a walk as many days as we can get. Uh, and, and sometimes, especially this time of year, it's, I mean, we, we have to take him out in the dark. And I'm so thankful for streetlights in the city of Winnipeg because otherwise I'd be tripping over lifted sidewalks, I'd be slipping on pavement and so on. If we lived in the rural area. But, you know, communities have this feature called light. And you know something? Communities spiritually also bring light. And people that are walking in darkness need a community that is knowing how to walk in the light to, to lead them out of the darkness. We're coming up to the fourth anniversary of Newtown shootings when little Anna Marcus Green was murdered along with several other children, some adults. Fourth anniversary. And after the funerals had, had been finished and all the memorial services and all the public stuff was done, there appeared an article in the New York Times written by Samuel Friedman, and it was entitled this, In a Crisis, Humanists Seem Absent. He observed that of all the public ceremonies and funerals and religious services of this whole variety of denominations connected with the Newtown shooting, he said that they were all religious. 
And Connecticut is, Connecticut is hardly the Bible belt of the United States. And yet every service turned to faith in God in the middle of their grief. He quoted President Obama's visit to the area in Newtown and, and pronounced almost a eulogy over all of them. He said it sounded like an evangelical sermon, President Obama sharing with them. This is in an area that in pollsters say 20% of that population say no religious preference. And he, he asked himself, why is it that in a place of such atheism, God is called upon in grief every time? And he said this, he said, it left only one prickly question for me to answer. Where were the humanists? The conclusion he came to was that what religion offered people at times like this was not only theology about the divine presence, but community. Community. He ends with the indictment against humanism that suffers from the valorization or the, the overvaluing of the individual. You see, God wants us to walk in community. And if we are going to walk in community with those that are walking in darkness, we have to be aware enough to lead them out of the darkness into the light. So I ask as we think about this Christmas and this Advent, as you get ready to put the tree up and, and shop and wrap the gifts and do the tinsel and the lights and all that stuff, all good, as you get ready to do that in this coming month, would you do this as well? Would you ask the questions, how can we point people to the true light, really? Take the opportunity to point people to the true light, Jesus Christ. Secondly, how can you become more aware of somebody else's darkness? I mentioned several examples of the darkness in our country and in our world you can't be an expert on all of them. You can't be really well informed on all of them. But maybe God just put one on your heart. You've got to dig in and figure that out. Become aware so that you're not walking in darkness when you address that. And then thirdly, how can we be coming alongside those that are walking in, in, a, in a pitch black darkness? How can we walk alongside of them so that we could actually turn their path toward the light. Let's pray. Lord our God, you who dwell in eternal light and you who has called us children of light because of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, would you be so kind, O oh God, in this month to come of Advent, of, we, of us celebrating your coming as a baby in the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, would you be so kind as to show us, Lord, those that are walking in darkness in places we touch? And, and Lord, show us how to lead them to the light. We ask it for your glory. Amen. You know, Pastor Terry's right in what he said to us today, both about the history and the current situation. But there's actually three levels of application not two. And I'm becoming aware of the third. And that there's a future application. There'll be a time when light will be completely separated from darkness. 
Those in heaven will only know light. Those outside will only know darkness. And I'm becoming deeply aware of that, that all prophecy goes beyond. And so this Christmas, if we could just get our hearts into that, then it would be easy to help others to come to him. Since I've been sick, when I was on the hospital bed, and people asked the hard questions that I've had to ask, with some kind of answer and some kind of hope, it's been easy to share. So let's, this Christmas, ourselves walk in the light and be thrilled and captured by that light and then show others that light because they experience it through us. Oh God, our Father, You've given us an incredible calling, and the coming of Jesus Christ was just the start of a huge movement and a huge journey for millions of people around the world. We come and bow our heads before you, and we ask that this Christmas, our lives may experience something very unique very real, very genuine. May we know the light of Christmas. Amen.